Okay, welcome to Pro Mindset Podcast today. This is your host, Craig Dillman. I've got today a guest who's a former NBA or former professional basketball player, current author, roughly 30 books, podcaster, speaker, entrepreneur, Dre All Day. I don't know if that's for your three-point shot or what, but Dre All Day Baldwin. Welcome to Pro Mindset. Well, I appreciate it, Craig. I don't play anymore, so we can just say it's for my three-point shot. So we, you got to take our word for it. Well, usually all day on the basketball court has a meaning. <laughs> what does all day mean to you? Well, I, I didn't create it necessarily for basketball. I was playing when I created it, but it was really uh, just based on me trying to come up with a catchy name because DreBaldwin.com doesn't sound that catchy. you know. So I needed something that was a little bit more catchy. And I just read a book that was literally about how to come up with uh, a name or a slogan or a tag that is more uh, original and something that sticks. So Dre all day just found something that rhymed the alliteration. So that's actually where it came from. But then it also fit what I was doing, because even at that point, this is about 2007, Craig, I was already putting content out uh, more consistently than the average person. And I stepped it up a little bit since then. Absolutely. Okay, so when I was on the basketball court, when I was all day, it was when yeah. I was I was streaking at the three. Okay. And after an ACL, a couple uh, meniscus surgeries, I've hung up my basketball game, but that's what uh, all day meant for me. Okay, how old were you when so that happened? Or were in your career? 45. 45. I okay, played till I was yeah. 45, and I, I had ice packs on every part of my body, knees, ankles, you know, yeah, wrists, you hands, fingers, everything. You got a good amount um, out of yourself by 45. At least it didn't happen at like 25. That would have been a tragedy. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, 45 well, I, is not that I, bad. I'm a football guy, but ba- basketball has always been my favorite uh, sport just because you can do it anywhere, anytime. Three on three, one on one, five on yeah. five. You can play any way you want. Yeah, okay, so today, on, so today you have a very interesting story. Mm. Um. You could take, I could ask you this question. You could spend the whole time just answering this question, but give us an abbreviated yeah. description of your story. What is your story? An abbreviated description. Okay. I'll take uh, two to five minutes, then I'll tell you my story. So, my background is I'm from the city of Philadelphia, PA, uh, now based in Miami, Florida. I always played sports growing up. So, played a little bit of football, but never, I never really played football. Never actually had the equipment. So, I never really played. And I played baseball. I was mediocre at best at baseball. My ceiling was I probably would have sat the bench for my high school team if I had made it. So that was as far as I was going in baseball. Got into basketball around age 14, which is pretty late for someone who's trying to go somewhere in the sport, like play in college, let alone play professionally. So high school, I only played one year of high school ball because my high school did not have a freshman team or a JV team. So maybe I would have made one of those. We didn't have it. We only had one team. And I didn't make that team until I was a senior. And that year I sat the bench. And I had a, a front row seat, great seats right there on the bench to watch the game. But I scored uh, two points per game. So anybody who doesn't know the sports world, if you play hockey or soccer, you score two points per game, you're in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you score two points in basketball, you're nobody. So uh, getting out of high school, I knew I was going to go to college just as a as a student, but I was not being recruited, meaning nobody was checking for me to come. Hey, come play for my school. Come play for my school. That wasn't happening to me. So the college I went to, I knew I was going to, if I was going to play sports, I needed to walk on. And for those who don't know what that means, that means you literally walk into the gym and you try to play your way onto the team being uninvited and nobody knows who you are. 
Now, luckily, I was able to do that because I was still getting better at basketball. I was kind of a late bloomer, given my late start. That makes sense. But the level that I was playing at was a Division three level. And Division three is the third tier of college sports. Again, for those who don't know sports too well, Division one in basketball is March Madness. Those are the NCAA tournament. That's Division one. We were down in the basement at Division three. Those games don't come on TV. So I, I played in college. I played, you know, graduated, and felt like I was still getting better as a player. But again, nobody's checking for a Division three player to come play in the pros, regardless of how well you play. So getting out of college, I was in the same situation as after high school. Nobody was checking for me or asking me to come play pro. So my first year out of uh, college, I did not walk on to play pro. There's not really a way to do that. So my first year, I actually walked into a couple uh, quote unquote regular jobs. I worked at Foot Locker as an assistant manager. I worked at a gym called Bally Total Fitness. You remember them, Craig, as a uh, yeah. uh, as a membership salesperson. Now Bally's out of business now, not because of me. I sold a lot of memberships in uh, the summer of 2005. But so. A year, I spent my whole first year working at those jobs. And then in summer 2005, I went to this event called an exposure camp. It was kind of like a job fair or a casting call for athletes who all think they're good enough to play pro, but at the time they are not playing pro. So I went to one of those events and you had to pay to go to these events. It was $250. I paid in cash at the door because I didn't have a credit card or a bank account at this time, age 23. Uh, played pretty well at the two-day event. And from that event, I got a good scouting report and I got the footage from that event. Went back. The event was in Orlando, Florida. We had rented a car, drove to Orlando from Philly. It was about a 17-hour drive. Had to be back at work on Monday. Event was Saturday, Sunday. Had to be back at work on Monday. Drove back to Philly. And I started cold calling basketball agents. And this is really where I started to this is really, really where I started to see the benefits of being able to market and sell myself. So I uh, looked on Google, which did exist at this time. And any agent who I could find, I just Googled basketball agents, any agent I could find who had a phone number, I called them. And I said, here's who I am. Here's what I have. And now I have some collateral. This is the reason why I didn't do it the year before, because I had nothing to show them. Now I have something to show them. And out of the 60 agents that I cold called, 20 of them said, okay, let me see what you have. So I would send them the link to my scouting report, and I would send them a copy of my footage. Now, mind you, this footage was not a link to a website, because this is 2005. This was... The footage from the scouting, this event that I went to, Craig, was on this thing called a VHS tape. You remember those? I do. Yeah, so do. so the footage is on the VHS tape, and I had a double-decker VCR at home. So any millennials, if you're under the age of 30, listening to this, uh, ask your parents so you can Google VHS and VCR. That's that's what they are. Basically YouTube, but it was a physical product was if you want to get an understanding. So I was making copies of that VHS tape, sending it out to basketball agents, the agents that I sent it to, one of them called me back after they saw it and said, okay, I'll represent you. He became my agent. I started my pro basketball career in late summer 2005 playing in Countess, Lithuania. So I took that footage from the exposure camp on a VHS tape, took it to an audiovisual store because I knew that you drop a VHS tape, you leave it in the water, you leave it in the sun, or you just lose it, your footage is gone. So I wanted something that was more safe. And the internet was starting to become something at this point. So the audiovisual store put it on the data CD. I put that onto a, into a desktop computer and upload the footage to this brand new website just came out that said you could put out as much footage as you want for free. It was called youtube.com. So I put my footage up on YouTube and didn't, I didn't care. I mean, it's not like this was some grand scheme. It's not like this became this yellow brick road of success from that point because who cares about YouTube in 2005? Nobody. So I went and I'm playing basketball and I left the video up on YouTube. Didn't think twice about it. About it, six months, maybe a year later, I checked on the video and I noticed that there were comments on the video, Craig, where 
people who I did not know had left comments and were just asking me questions like, who taught you how to play? Where do you play? How often do you practice? Uh, can you make more videos? Can you make videos about how to dunk or how to do crossovers or how to do whatever? Whatever they saw me doing in my footage, they wanted to know if I could teach them how to do it. And the light bulb went off in my mind here, at least a little bit, Craig, that there was a whole audience, a whole population of people who were looking to learn basketball and they had come to the internet looking for help. And I could possibly supply them that help. So that, again, the light bulb went off a little bit at that point because it's not like I all of a sudden dropped everything and became this influencer. So over the next five, four or five years, I put videos up sporadically. I'm playing basketball overseas. I'm back and forth between Europe and the USA and my playing jobs. And I put videos up in my spare time whenever I got around to it. Because, again, who cares? About 2009, I find myself an unemployed professional basketball player. My phone's not ringing. I, I played in a few places. Phone's not ringing. And I had this audience that's kind of building up online. But again, it's, there's nothing to gain from having an audience of people on the Internet at this time. It's not a serious business. So I asked myself a really important question, which is, how can I combine? Because at this point, I'm getting to my mid to late 20s. How can I combine basketball, which is I knew I was good at it. And the Internet was something else that I always had an affinity for. But I didn't know, know if there was anything, any opportunity there and making money. How can I combine all three? Now, this seems like a very simple question today. If you listen to this in 2024, it's a very simple question. But back then, it was a very complex question because there was no easy, clear answer to the question. Now, I just finished reading Tim Ferriss's four-hour work week at the time, and he had given me a little bit of an, uh, a primer, tutorial. If you have an audience online, here's a way you can test out a product. And this was on his blog, which helped sell his book. And I did it. I followed it and I created my first product. So $4.99 training programs for basketball players. It was just two of them, one for shooting, one for dribbling. And I ran a little test and I got people responding to the test and I started creating those products. And when I made my first sale that night, this is about 2010, Craig, I said, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life because what I had just done was create an intellectual property and exchange it for money. And I said, I knew I can't play basketball forever. So whether the phone rings again or not, eventually this ends. So what else will I be able to do? And I just taken an idea from my head, turn it into something real, put a price tag on it and exchange it for money. I said, I could do that forever because I got plenty of ideas. And as long <laughs> as I can articulate, you know, then I'll be able to uh, be able to make money from the things that I know. And again, I didn't even know intellectual property was a thing at the time, but that's exactly what I had done. So uh, fast forwarding here, about that time, 2010. That's when I kind of became officially an entrepreneur because I started making my own stuff. The phone did ring again. I kept playing ball till 2015. But in that period, that 20, 2009, about 2011, that's when I started creating my own products because I was unemployed and I had to figure something out. It was also when the basketball players started asking me questions about mindset because they saw I was consistently. Now, by this point, 2009, Google bought YouTube and I started putting videos out every day because I said, OK, because now Google said, we'll monetize your YouTube channel based on how many people are watching your videos. So I said, OK, well, let me just put out more videos, more opportunities to get monetized. So I started putting out videos every single day. That's how my audience is beginning to grow, because this is about the time when that about 09 to about 2013 period, maybe 2014, that five year period. There were a lot of people watching YouTube, but not publishing on YouTube. So this was a great period for people who were already actively publishing. You could get a lot without a lot of competition. Competition started about 2014, then everybody got on it. So at this time period, they asked me about my mindset because I'm putting out videos every day. Or they would ask about confidence, how you get out there and perform when you get one chance at a basketball tryout. Uh, why'd you keep trying? You got cut from your high school team three times. You walked on at a D3 college. Like, you kept trying to play pro ball. Why? 
Like, what's the mindset behind somebody who even thinks like that? Or they would ask how you get started because some of them said, I want to play pro ball, Dre, or I want to walk on in college. I didn't even play in high school, but I want to walk on. How do I do it? Or I want to get known on the internet because now I'm getting known on the internet became a career aspiration. It wasn't just something you did on the side. Now you got kids. They don't want to be firefighters or police officers. They want to be YouTubers, right? So they want to know, how do I get started? So I started talking about discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative. That became the foundation of what work on your game was and is still to this day about. And there's also writing books. I started writing books at this time. And you know, fast forwarding again by 2015, by the time I stopped playing ball, I already knew what I was going to do. I was going to drop basketball and I'm going to take this mindset stuff I'm doing. I'm going to take these books that I'm writing. I'm going to take these courses I'm creating and this whole framework that I've created around mindset. And I'm going to give it to everybody because people who didn't play ball were starting to come into my audience. So they said, well, look, I don't play ball, Dre, but that discipline stuff, that confidence stuff, that mental toughness, everybody needs that. So I said, perfect. I knew exactly who my audience is going to be moving forward. And that's what I've been doing ever since I stopped playing in 2015. And that's how we got here today. I want to I want to dive into one thing. Sure. I don't want to know your framework yet. I'm going to give you a chance to share your framework. I just want to know about when somebody has a big moment coming up. Mm-hmm. It's their chance to be on stage. Uh, could be a tryout. Could be an interview. Could be a sales opportunity. Could be a million different things. What do you suggest and what does your mindset training teach that can help someone be their best in their biggest moment? Have that confidence and belief when they need to have it. Several things. The first thing is you got to do your homework. And this is uh, a metaphor that I use when I talk to any performer, anybody who's about to be in a performance is doing your homework. That's the mental and physical preparation that you do ahead of the moment so that you're ready when it happens and you're not figuring things out when they happen. And every professional, the hallmark of a professional is preparation. You don't have to be a technically a professional to prepare ahead of time because, I mean, that's even what students do when they have a test in school. So the preparation is, first of all, understanding what game you're going to be in, what exactly is going to be asked of you, at least learning as much about it as possible. So if you've done it before, then you probably have a good idea. If you haven't done it before, you can either go maybe look up the last time somebody did it or if you know someone who's been there already i.e. a coach or a trainer, they can help you get ready for the situation because they've seen what you're about to see. So knowing what game you're going to be in and then preparing yourself for that game as it's going to be so that when you get into the situation, you're already ready to go out there and perform. It shouldn't be brand new to you once you get into that moment, as long as you, again, as long as you can get access to the resources. The good thing today is that even if you don't know a person personally, now we can do, you can do something like this. You can get on, hop on somebody's podcast, watch somebody's YouTube channel, follow somebody on social media, download somebody's free ebook. And they're telling you pretty much a whole lot of what you're going to see before you see it. You don't have to even know anyone personally. Whereas, you know, back in our days, Craig, if you didn't know somebody, you just didn't have the information. But nowadays you can get access to it relatively easily. So that's preparing yourself again, mentally, it's preparing yourself physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever ways you need, whatever ways you predict that your abilities will be called on once you get into the situation. Okay, Drake. One of the things that I found working with professional athletes is mm-hmm. that this, this whole endeavor is not linear. And so the way I was taught by my parents and my coaches was work hard, you mm-hmm. know, show up early, be on time, all that stuff, work, you know, do the preparation, do the homework. But then sometimes it still didn't happen. You know, mm-hmm. in the biggest of moments, like, hey, you make the free throw or not decides the 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 whether you win the game or not. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's maybe a coach challenges you and says, hey, Dre, it's you be somebody else. 
like whoever scores first is on the team. And so what happens is people, including myself, have failed many times, even though we've done all the work. We are emotionally ready. We're, we're spiritually ready. We're physically ready. We're mentally ready. We prepared. We visualized it. And we still fail. What is your explanation for why? And well, even in your own life. Sure. There have been times, plenty of times where I felt like I was really ready for a game, for example, and then didn't play that well in the game. It wasn't scared, wasn't nervous, uh, felt fan, but the shots just weren't going in the basket. And the thing about sports is that it's an inexact science. Sports is an inexact science is that you couldn't do all the preparation you want. And then you get in the game and you're a pitcher and you can't throw a strike or you're a batter and you can't hit the ball. You're a shooter and your shots are just not going in the basket. Sometimes you have days like that. And it's expected and it will happen. Even the best of them have those days. They don't have them every day, but they do have those days. And I am a type of person who have always been a uh, metaphorically speaking, a distance runner, Craig, and that I played a long game. So, yeah, there may be that one day when this player who's not half of my ability was able to get the best of me that one day. But if we look at the entire body of work between me and that player, there's no comparison. So it's understanding that every once in a while you will have one of those days. But in the long run, in the big picture, you are what your performance says about you. And the longer you're in the game, the more clear it is who you are and what you're doing. So I'm the type of person who always had the mindset that the longer the race, the more clear it was going to be that I'm winning, no matter who I'm going up against, because I've always been a competitor. So I'm not a sprinter. Again, let's play the longer game. The longer the game, the better chance that there's not going to be any any upsets. It's just like uh in the NCAA tournament, there's only one game. So anybody could beat anybody on a random day. But in the NBA playoffs, is seven-game series. Usually, there are no upsets in those because you know exactly who's who, what's what, after so many games facing the same opponent. So that's the way that I look at that, playing a long game that, yes, some days you may have a bad day, but in the seven-game series, you're not going to have four. Okay, so that's, that's absolutely cr- true. That's correct. Mm-hmm. But let's pretend it's the seventh game. Yeah. Of that seven game series. Mm-hmm. Let's say, you know, there's not 40 tech companies you could get a job with. So if you play, if you're playing the long game, the first interview you have, if you don't get it, you don't sweat it because you got 39 more potential opportunities. Mm-hmm. But when you go to the NFL combine, you get to do it one time. You get to run that 40 one time. You go through the NFL draft one time. And a majority of the rookies that get cut by the NFL in training camp, never come back. They never smell. They never put on an NFL uniform again, the majority of them. So my question to you is, and I'm, I'm asking you to double down on this, what do you do in that situation? Because you can't play the long game. It's now. Right. There's no long right. game. That's right. Well, it's understanding that you do have that one shot, and that can be looked at in multiple ways. You can look at it as – anxiety-inducing, fear-inducing pressure because you only have one shot, or you can look at it as uh, excitement-inducing, hey, I'm ready to go, anticipation because you have one shot and you can make everything that you want to occur in your life happen based on what you do in the next hour or the next two days, whatever the situation happens to be. So this is all a matter of framing. How do you want to frame the situation? Because when you feel those butterflies in your stomach before some events, that you can look at that as, oh, man, I'm nervous, I'm going to screw up. Or you look at it as, oh, I'm excited because my body and my soul 
knows that this is a big event and this is my big opportunity right here. So this is all a matter of how do you choose to frame and look at the situation? Because you have a choice in that framing, looking at the situation. And this also plays a role in what the question you asked me before about the mental and emotional preparation for the event. If you know that's the event you're about to go into and you know it's three months away, you can start mentally getting yourself ready for that before it even happens. So by the time it happens, you've gone over it in your head so many times. You've seen this movie before so many times. And by the time you get there, you're not overwhelmed by the moment. Absolutely. So just two, two examples. One is, uh, two examples. One is uh, from your, because you're from Philly, the city of brotherly love. You know, Donovan McNabb never got it done for the A's. And Jim Kelly in Buffalo went to the Super Bowl four years in a row. I think it was four. Maybe it was only three. It was four. Three or four. It was four. Four. Mm-hmm. The Bills never won when he was the quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I guess the thing that I have found in, in this mindset space is that how do you prepare for that one shot? How do you prepare for it? And the, what I've found is that just like an iceberg, you know, the, the, the part that you could see didn't sink the Titanic. It's the part you can't see. And the mm-hmm. part you can't see in your mindset is your story, whether what you're doing with your mental battles, with previous failures, disappointments, rejections, noise, distractions, broken relationships, and can you own your worth? Are you a 99.9er? Because most people, including myself, and many times in my life, I've been a 99.9er. I believe in myself, totally. I'm I'm all in on me. But man, when that comes up, I just don't talk the same. I don't respond the same. I have, I have stress in my body. So what I found is the solution for that, one of, I'm sure there's multiple solutions, but one of the solutions is to rewrite your story, win your mental battle, and own your worth. Because before you show up on stage, before you show up in that tryout or whatever that one, one shot is, you got to make sure that you're all in on you because we all have this little voice that comes with us says, hey, remember what your dad said? Remember what that coach said when you were a freshman in high school and uh, he cut you from the team and he said, hey, man, you just you just don't have what it takes. Whatever he said, you think, you know, that guy forgot about whatever he told you? Literally within seconds after he told you. You could have had a good friend or a sibling or a parent say something to you that was negative. You, you forgot about that within an hour. It's still in your subconscious programming. When does it show up? It shows up in those big shots. It comes, it shows up in those big moments. And so you have to heal, you have to forgive, and you have to reframe all those things so that when you show up for that big moment, it doesn't come with you. Thoughts on that? I agree. You saw it it out there. So I agree with that. And getting yourself mentally prepared, I think, is the biggest part when it comes to any type of performance is because the mind controls the body. And what we're doing mentally, how we get ourselves mentally unlocks or locks up, prevents access to whatever we are capable of physically. So the more mentally ready you are for any situation, the more likely 
And the more you can depend on your body to follow suit and do what you needed to do when it gets into that moment, especially if you already done the homework and you prepared yourself ahead of time. Absolutely. Okay. Share with us, share with our audience, share with me for mindset framework. Sure. So it's based on, again, the questions I was being asked by the audience to say, you know, what keeps you coming to the gym every day to work out? And I started talking about discipline, which is showing up every single day to do the work. They would ask, how do you get the mindset to perform when you only get maybe one opportunity like we've been talking about here? From there came confidence, the willingness and ability to put yourself out there boldly and authentically. And I was asked, well, all these setbacks that you faced or the times where it wasn't even a setback, you were just back. Nothing was happening and it didn't look like anything was going to happen. What kept you going? What kept you showing up? What kept you feeling confident about yourself, even though the reality in front of you was saying something completely different than what your mind was saying? That was that result of that question was mental toughness. Your willingness to remain disciplined and remain confident, despite the fact that the success you've expected has yet to occur. And then the last one was, how do you get started? How do you get started with any of this stuff, whatever it may be, anything that someone saw me doing that they want to do, but they hadn't started yet? How do you get started? How do I begin with this? Because a lot of people get stuck in just you know, thinking about it, you know, analysis paralysis by paralysis, as we said. And I started talking personal initiative. Your willingness to go be a go-getter and make things happen instead of waiting for things to happen. So discipline, confidence, mental toughness, personal initiative, that became the foundation of uh, everything that I talked about. That's awesome. One of the things that I've noticed is that there's confidence killers. Mm-hmm. And if you, you've got to be aware of the confidence killers. And the biggest one is comparison. And it's not just comparison to other people. It's comparison to what you were thinking was going to happen. And how many times in a basketball game you have 12 points going into halftime and you're hoping to get 40 in the game and you're only not, you're not quite on par, not on pace. So it's like, I think one of the things you have to be mindful of is what are the things out there that can kill your confidence? And then after you have awareness of them, most of the time they go away just by awareness, you know? Okay. As, um, as an, an author of 30, plus books. What is your favorite book and what is the message? Favorite of mine or favorite of somebody else's? Favorite of yours. And what is uh, your message? Of mine. I'll probably go with my first book. I'll go my first and my last and my favorite book. So, so the first one was my book, Buy a Game. It's the only book of mine that's a narrative. And it's just me telling the story of my basketball career from where I first started up through college. That's when I wrote. So it was up through my college years. And the reason and the message of the book is really just telling people again, how I came up, how I got to the position I was at. And I wrote that book specifically for my audience of basketball skill, you know, seekers who were watching me on YouTube at the time. That's really who I wrote that book for. And I gave it away for free when it first came out, still give it away for free to this day. And the message of the book, even though it didn't say this in the book, the message of the book is just to go out there and, first of all, know what game you're in, get yourself some game. Buy a game is just a euphemism that became work on your game and uh, buy yourself some game and get out there and perform. And you got to go out there and make your opportunities happen instead of waiting for it. I hope that's the message people got from that book, even though it was not stated explicitly. All my other books, I'm more explicit as far as what the message is. Okay. And then the what was the last book's title again? My last book is called The Third Day. So you can see it right over my head right here. The decision that separates the pros from the amateurs. So that book is all about how do you show up and give your best effort when you least feel like it. That's what that book is about. And how do you do that? 
Uh, it's a great question. Well, you got to have the structure. And so showing up when you don't feel like showing up is a discipline in and of itself. Uh, the challenge with people when it comes to any kind of discipline is that they go about installing discipline incorrectly. And this is the reason why many people, you ask people, ask 10 people on the street, is there something in your life in which you want to be more disciplined or need to be more disciplined? Almost everybody will say yes um, with my saving money or working out or finishing my book or with my business or my side hustle, or studying in school, whatever it happens to be. The reason many people fail to get the discipline, despite the fact that they want it, is because they don't have a process for making it work. The only thing most people try when it comes to discipline is force feeding it. They basically try to force themselves to be more disciplined. And that does not work, not on a, not for an extended period of time. Now, you can make yourself more disciplined for the next 15 minutes, maybe for the next day or two. You go to a conference, maybe you'll fill it for a week, but it's not going to last forever. And what makes discipline is structure. Discipline is a byproduct of structure. So when you put the right structures in place, then you will become disciplined by simply following the structure. So the key to showing up when you feel like is putting a structure in place that makes it a lot easier for you, for you to do that. And one of the ways to do that is by making it a habit because the law of inertia states an object in motion shall remain in motion. So act upon by an outside force. So if you can create the habit and the consistency of this is what I do every single day, let's say, for example, getting up and going to the gym and working out or turning on my microphone and recording my show or opening up my word processing document and writing 500 words for the book that I want to put out. If you can make a habit out of that, then it's easier to continue the habit than it is to break the habit, even if that means continuing to do something rather than not doing something. Whatever you're used to doing, your body and your mind are usually going to want to keep doing it rather than breaking the cycle of what you've been up to to this point. So if you're not doing what you want to do right now, then you have to break that inertia. And if you are doing what you need to do right now, then all you have to do is just let the inertia keep working in your favor. So that's the that's where the structure comes in. You put the right structure in place, the habits automatically are produced by following the structure. What is the so just building a house, you have a foundation, then you build yeah. the structure, put on the roof and all that stuff. What is the number one foundational element of your mindset? Of your mindset framework? What is the thing is this is what everything sits on? Discipline. What we just talked discipline. about. Yeah. Okay. But I heard you say discipline comes from structure. structure. That's right. Okay. How does purpose and passion fit into that? That's a, that's a really good question. I think purpose is a big part of it. Passion, sometimes. Passion, I look at passion uh, the same way you can look at uh, salt, pepper, and oregano when it comes to a sandwich. Like It's cool if you have it, but you still have a sandwich if you don't have it. So do I always feel passionate about getting up and going to work? No. Do I always feel passionate about going to the gym? No. Do I always feel passionate about doing anything I need to do for my business? There are some days where I don't feel any passion whatsoever for doing those things. I, don't feel, I might not feel passionate all day about anything, but I still do my job. So You may not be passionate right now, but you're here. Yeah, that's right. So the, the key of, again, the hallmark of a professional is – showing up every single day and doing the work, regardless of how you feel. That's why the third day is what it is. It's about how do you show up and give your best effort when you don't feel like giving effort? Because when you feel like it, everybody shows up, right? So at the beginning of the year, how many people do you see in the gym? Not everybody's in there. It's crowded. You can't even get on the machine. By February is a little bit less. And by around St. Patrick's Day, you got the same people who were there at the end of last year, right? So because the passion is worn off for them. 
So passion is not a big part of our formula. It's actually not a part of our formula at all. If you have some passion, cool. You can it can you can put uh, gasoline on whatever it is that you're doing. But if you don't have passion, that's fine too. We still wouldn't get the job done. So the other part of your question was about purpose. Purpose is a big part of it because I uh, tell people all the time that success happens on purpose. And for you to be successful, you must be both conscious and intentional about your success. Conscious meaning you can't just expect your your subconscious to do it for you or for you to do it just off of like uh, some energy floating through the air. You have to be consciously thinking about it. And the reason why that matters, the reason why it has to be said, because most people might say, well, isn't that obvious? I mean, we all have brains. We all think all the time. Yes, we do. But most thinking is habitual. 85% of the ways that we think are habitual, meaning we think the same stuff over and over again, the same triggers lead to the same thought patterns this is the reason why most people don't change in life because they follow the same patterns over and over and over and over again. Uh, one thing that I say kind of as a tongue in cheek, but it's not a joke, is that if you haven't seen any of your high school classmates in a long time, don't worry. They're the same people they were the last time you saw. They right? just got older and uglier. All right? Nothing else changed about them. And the reason is people don't change because people are not conscious about changing. And if you don't consciously think about change, you will not change. You'll just keep doing the same stuff over and over again and time will go by. And the other part of that is the intentionality. You have to have an intention to change. Again, change does not, not the kind of change that we want does not happen without an intention. You have to be intentional about making a change. So if you want to put on more muscle or you want to make more money or you want to break a bad habit or you want to build your business or you want to lose weight or whatever it is you want to do, you want to run a marathon, that's not going to happen just randomly. Right? You have to be thinking about it. And when you're thinking about it and you're intentional about it, then you're probably going to make some intentional Action, you're going to take some intentional actions that will lead you toward the path of doing it. So someone wants to be in shape and they haven't worked out in a while. Well, they'll probably with the intention, they'll probably find their way to a gym or to find a personal trainer or to find some app that they can work out with in the living room. They will do something about it. But if you're just thinking about it, but there's no intention, you're not going to do anything. And if you have the intention, but you don't get conscious about it, meaning you're not actively looking for ways to make it work. And that's not, that's not going to work either. So the purpose part is big for what we do here, but the passion part again is as I take it or leave it, we don't need it. One of the hardest things for, for people as, as we get older is to change for all the mm -hmm. reasons that you just said. So I'm going to, I'm going to repeat some of the things you just said mm -hmm. because of subconscious programming. Everybody mm -hmm. does the same thing. 80, 90% of the time, every single day, think the same thoughts, go to the same, drink the same coffee, go to this, do the, eat the same things for breakfast, all that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. For those people that are listening, give me like a three step, give them a three step process for getting that momentum to change. So is it, is it having the thought that you want to lose 20 pounds? Is it, Saying that you're going to cut, you know, the next meal you have, you're going to, you're going to cut your calories in half. What? Give me, give me like a structure, a change mm -hmm. game plan. Okay. Well, first thing is, as Napoleon Hill said, "In thinking, grow rich." All change starts with a a thought, a conscious thought, a burning desire to actually achieve some type of outcome. So it starts with a thought. It starts with the intention. This is the thing that I want to achieve. That's the starting point. What is the outcome? The outcome needs to be clear. And it needs to be something that we can we can check a box and we can draw a clear line. OK, you did achieve it. You didn't achieve it. So I I it needs to be something that's measurable. OK, I want to uh, lose this many pounds. I'm going to make this much money, like this exact amount. I want to have this thing done and finished. 
And it can't be something that's kind of like, uh, I want to get in better shape. I want to feel better. I want to be more confident. You can't measure those. So it needs to be something that's measurable so that we have a clear black or white. That's number one. Number two is in order for you to achieve this, we need the structure. What is the structure that would need to be followed in order for this to happen? So in order for this to this outcome to occur, what else needs to be true? And you're going to answer that question. What else needs to be true? Keep asking that question till you work yourself backwards to where you are today. And there you have in reverse kind of roadmap in reverse of what it is you're going to uh, what what steps need to be taken. Now, it doesn't mean you're going to do it, but what steps need to be taken? You can see it is laid out there in front of you and then you can make a decision about whether you're serious about achieving this outcome or not. That's step number two is laying out a clear structure. Usually a good coach or trainer or expert can help you lay this out because most people can't do that on their own, even though. Technically, you could. Most people don't. And the third piece is the most important piece. All right. In order for me to achieve this outcome and take these steps to achieve it, what type of person do I need to become? And the reason why this is the most important question is because this is the starting point of the change. The starting point of the change is not what's the goal. The starting point is not the actions. The starting point is who do I need to be as a person? The reason why this matters so much, Craig, is because a lot of people, most people, who are listening to this, they have control of their mental faculties are pretty good at desire. All right. Most humans are pretty good at desire, especially in Western society. We desire all types of things. That's why we have a, 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 a culture of consumerism because we all desire stuff, right? And we go get it. So that, that part's not hard. That's the having part. What do I want to have now, most people though, they understand that you can't get something for nothing. So you had to do something. Okay. So what I had to do in order to achieve that, I want to get this house. I'm going to get this car. I'm going to get these muscles. I want to get this this girl or this guy or this relationship or these fans, what do I need to do in order to make that happen? This is where and why most people spend all of their lives working. All right, go to work. All right, did I get the goal? Not yet. Go to work again. Did I get the goal? Not yet. Let me work harder. Let me work, do some different type of work. Let me get some more information about work and work, work, work. Most people spend their entire lives working and literally work themselves to death, literally to death because they have that's their formula. All right, what do I want? If I don't have it yet, let me go work. And if I don't have it, if I'm not achieving it, then clearly that must mean I'm not working hard enough or I'm not doing the right type of work. Or I just have to change something about my work process. And when I find the right formula for my work process, then it'll, I'll achieve the outcome. This is an inaccurate formula. And this is the reason why many people work really hard yet don't achieve their goals because they never ask themselves the most important question. Who do I need to be while I'm doing this work? Because you need to change who you are fundamentally and how you are thinking, your posture, your aura, who you see when you look in the mirror. That has to change. Then you go do the action steps. Then you get the outcome. But since most people never even ask themselves the question, who do I need to be? They just go straight into the effort part and they never change who they are. That's the reason why they don't get their outcomes. And this is why you get people who are very frustrated because they're like, I'm doing all this work. I'm doing it looks like I'm doing the same thing that he's doing and she's doing. Why are they getting outcomes and I'm not getting and I'm working three times harder than them? It's because they ask themselves a more important question than you did. They're all they're operating by a different formula. So the three step formula in reverse here is be, do and have. Who do I need to be? Then what do I do? Then I achieve the outcome. But it has to be done in that order. And all three steps must be executed. I love that. I in my pro mindset model, <laughs> the third one, which is the most important one, is your story. Yeah. And you cannot outperform your story. That's right. You can't make decisions inconsistent with your story. Mm-hmm. You can't. You can't. You cannot achieve a dream that is not consistent with your story. Mm-hmm. So it's: do you upgrade your dream or do you upgrade your story? You change your story. 
And when you change your story, everything else changes. That's everything right. else reflects from that. So mm-hmm. it's the beingness. It's the beingness. It's your identity code. Mm-hmm. And so when you meet somebody from high school and they go, Dre, you're not the same guy you were. That's a compliment. Because that tells me you've changed. Right? That's right. And so as you go through life, you've got to keep upgrading your story so that you can have a different life as opposed to living the same old story. Mm. So, That's right. Does that make sense? Of course. We're saying the same thing, just different words. That's right. Okay. okay. Um, what? Let's say, for example, you have a client, you have a friend, you have somebody in your audience, you have a caller. Um, Anybody on the street that says, hey, I'm in a rut. I'm in a rut. I'm stuck. Mm-hmm. How do you, how, it, sometimes the same formula will help you mm-hmm. get out of a rut. Is, is there anything else someone out there could do if they just are in a plunk? You know, they, they're, uh, they're shooting air balls. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they, they're out there shooting 500 balls a day. But man, when they get in the gym and, and it's game time and, the, and we're playing for real, that's shooting air balls. How do you get unstuck? How do you get out of the rut? Well, the most important thing to get out of a rut is, as they say, you catch yourself in a hole, stop digging. So number one thing is you got to stop doing the same things you've been doing. So whatever you've been doing that has gotten you to this point, some part of that process, we probably need to change or at least test out. If we change this, what would happen? Let's start testing things out because if you feel like you're doing all the quote unquote right things, but you're not getting the outcome. Well, the outcome is disagreeing with your theory, right? So we have to figure out what what's happening in this process and let's test out different parts of this process. So in marketing, we call it split testing, right? Let's, let's work on the headline. Let's change the headline and see what happens. Right? Let's change the video. Let's see what happens. Let's change the color of the button. Let's see what happens. Let's change the placement of the order form. Let's see what happens. So we have to split test and uh, figure out what is actually causing the issue? If there's an issue with your body physically, then doctors may have you do a nutritionist, might have you do an elimination diet. Okay, let's eliminate one food that you always eat and let's see what happens. All right, let's put that back in, eliminate a different food. And we got to isolate the variable, basically. So our goal is to figure out how can we isolate the one variable that is causing the issue. And once you figure that out, then we can make the changes. The challenge with this is, Craig, that a lot of people don't want to go through the process of actually isolating the variable because this takes work. It takes consciousness. It takes intentionality. And depending on how fast you want to move, this could take a little bit of time. But we have to deconstruct every single thing that you're doing so we can find out what's actually causing the issue because we can't guess. We don't want to guess as to what's causing the issue. If you have an, an educated guess, we can test that first. But we do have to guess and we have to follow a, uh, I guess, a scientific method, for lack of a better term. But we have to isolate the variable and find out what the actual issue is because it might be one thing, it might be 10 things. Okay, let's, I love that. I love that. Um, basically, you have to go through an inspection process to kind of check out what's going on, what's not working, what's working. Um, mm-hmm. Let's say you're in the zone. Mm-hmm. And you, you can close your eyes on the basketball court and the ball goes in. And the basket looks like it's gigantic. And it's like, you know what, when, you, when, you, when you're off balance and you make a, arguably a bad shot, it banks in off the board. You weren't, you weren't aiming for the backboard, but it just banks in. You're making everything. You're playing free. 
They're playing confidently. They're in the zone. How do you stay in it? Well, Coach calls a timeout. It's halftime. And your boys are like, dude, you made like four in a row. Mm. How do you stay in it? Well, the thing about being in the zone is that you don't think about it. So you don't need to do anything to stay in the zone. What you need to do is whatever you've been doing up to that point to stay. You just want to stay in that space. And the zone is uh, also known as the flow state outside of sports where you're not thinking. You're just doing without doing. And that's really the space that we all want to get into to where we're just doing things and it feels effortless. We don't really feel anything. It even looks effortless what we're doing. And the only thing that can break that is us letting our clumsy conscious minds get in the way. Because usually when you're in a zone or a flow state, that's where your your subconscious mind has taken over. And the subconscious mind is a, a much higher state of consciousness than the conscious mind. And the conscious mind is a lot slower than the subconscious mind, even though the conscious mind is pretty fast, relatively speaking, is slower than the subconscious. So we want to keep the conscious mind away. Don't even have any conscious thoughts. Just do without doing as you've been doing up to that point. The less less thinking you're doing, the more easy it is. So that's how you stay in the zone. But when you're in the zone, there's no such thing as how to stay in the zone. It's the only thing that can happen is you break the zone because once you start thinking about it, the zone is broken. Well, you don't think about it until your teammates tell you how great you're doing. Right, but but you can get into a certain state to where even when they're saying that, it kind of doesn't, you don't allow it to consciously register. You don't consciously think about what they're saying. You're kind of, they're there, you're acknowledging them, but you're not really really engaging with them consciously. Well, I call that the performance bubble. When you're in your performance bubble, you can keep it out. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a performance bubble, whatever comes in is going to come in. You have no control over what comes in. Right. Exactly. That's right. Um, the other thing I would say is that a lot of athletes talk about the, the idea that the game's slowing down. You know, that, mm-hmm. that a receiver made an unbelievable catch. Let's say it's OBJ or somebody like that. He's like, oh, yeah, I saw it in slow motion. That's when they're in their subconscious. Mm-hmm. Right. Because the conscious, yes. it's like it happened quick. But in their subconscious, it's slower because their mind is faster. That's right. No, it's 100% on that. And it's it's two different experiences of how we experience time, right? There's the literal time, like 24 hours for me is 24 hours for you. But then there's the relative time. And the, the faster we can process things and the faster we can get things done, we experience life at, it seems like it's moving slower for us because we're moving faster or we're moving forward faster. We're processing faster or subconsciously in the flu state, we slow things down. It feels like it's moving slower. It was actually moving very fast, but for us, it feels slow because we're moving at a relative pace as much faster than everybody else mentally or uh, physically. Well, one of the things that's always been interesting to me is when you're having a good time, time flies. And when you're, when you're clock watching, let's say you're on a job that you really don't like, mm-hmm. time just is like a turtle, <laughs> like a tortoise. It goes right. very slow. And that's like about the check, Yeah. So when I check out at the grocery store and I ask the guy, you know, hey, when you getting off? Oh, man, I've been watching my watch. I got another hour. You know, it's <laughs> like, you know, it's been a long day. Because in a perfect world, you'd probably rather be doing something else. Not mm-hmm. in all cases, but in some cases. So, okay. Um, 
You have kids? Do you have that? children? Do you have kids? I have one. I have one son. He's 15 months. 15 months. Okay, so let's fast forward. And I hope it goes slow. But let's fast forward. Let's fast forward 15 years. Okay. And he's 16 years old. Let's, let's even go to 14. And let's say that's the age for a freshman in high school. And yeah. he wants to play basketball like dad did. What coaching points, what mindset pointers are you going to give your son roughly in 2037 when he's a freshman in high school so that he can maximize his opportunity? Well, he's already going to have everything we talked about here because I have been teaching it to him for the last 15 years. But uh, as far as the mindset pieces, he's going he's going to have it all. I'm going to have been installing this in him, whether he ever picks up a ball or not. So it's that discipline, showing up every day, believing in yourself and putting yourself out there, dealing with the inevitable setbacks and not waiting for an opportunity, but going and making it. Again, you need that even if you never play a sport. So uh, he's going to have all of that in place. And when it comes to basketball specifically, uh, as long as I'm physically able, I'll be able to take him out there and uh, at least teach him. He's going to be doing most of the work, but I'm going to teach him how to you know, actually get on the court and play and know what to do. So he's going to have basically downloaded my entire uh, mindset into his system by that point. As soon as he's okay, so, okay, so let's assume that you do a wonderful job of training and coaching and mentoring your son. What is yes. going to be the thing that he has at 14 that you didn't have? A coach at home, he doesn't have to pay. <laughs> That's one. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one thing. Right? Secondly, he'll have an early start in the game because I didn't start till I was 14. So he'll be starting. He can walk now, but he doesn't have a coordination to dribble. So as soon as he can do that, I'm saying maybe another year and a half, and he'll probably be able to dribble the ball. So he will have started. And again, he has a, a trainer at home who knows the sports world. My dad was in my life 100%, but he, wasn't, he was not an athlete. He didn't play. No, he liked sports and he could coach a little bit, but he didn't play. And he probably didn't have the the resources, specifically the time and attention to train me. If I wanted him to be a trainer, he couldn't have did that. I can do that for my son. So my son is going to have a, a built-in advantage that other kids probably don't have, that they got a, a trainer, an athlete at home for a trainer. And he's going to not only have the mindset piece, he's also going to have, I don't know what physically he's going to turn out, but Physically, he'll have somebody who knows exactly what he needs to do and what pieces he needs to have. And also, I'm not going to be his youth coach. I'll get somebody else to do that. I'm not a, I'm not a coach, but I'll be in the stands uh, watching. Okay, so when are you going to let him beat you in the driveway? Uh, as soon as he's – I would say he'll be able to beat me by the time I – by the time he is – they're probably around that 13, 14. He's going to have to get strong enough because I'm going to have a strength advantage over him, so – I'll you got be able the old man strength. Yeah, yeah. And just, yeah he's he's going to have the little boy weakness. <laughs> so it's really more about his weakness than my strength. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, Dre, all day. We're going to uh, wrap this up. I just want to ask, is there anything that you would like to share um, with the audience about um, your your uh, framework? Your, you know, this is open mic. Mm. Anything you'd like to share and then how can they find you if they're interested in uh, listening to your podcast, getting your books, any of those types of things? Well, everybody has a game, right? No matter if you're a librarian, an athlete, a podcaster, an entrepreneur, or anything in between, we all have a game. Whatever thing that you do, there's a game involved in that. 
And it's each of our jobs to understand what that game is. And once we understand the game, then you have to work on your game so you can develop the skill to create an opportunity for yourself. Once you create the opportunity, now you got to go out there and perform. Life, as is sports, is a performance-based business. You get the business based on your performance, and it shouldn't be based on anything else. We know some areas of life where it is, but it should just be based on performance. You perform, you produce results. When you produce results, you get rewards, which is usually what everybody's after, are the rewards. So whether that be money, happiness, fame, success, uh, admiration, followers on social media, whatever, those are the rewards. And when you can produce rewards consistently on call, you can write your own ticket. Basically, you can dictate to the rest of the world what they have to do in order to get you to produce those rewards. Those are the highest performing people out there. They get to basically call their own shot. So that's what everyone here should be looking at. And that's the formula everyone should be looking to follow, whether you play a sport right now, whether you're thinking about playing a sport or you will never play a sport. That is the formula that you need to follow. As far as uh, my books, I got a bunch of them, but I'll tell you about that book, The Third Day, which you can see if you're watching on video, is right above my head there. It's called The Third Day, The Decision Separates the Pros from the Amateurs. We do offer everyone a free copy of that book. We just ask that you cover the shipping. If you just go to thirddaybook.com, the book is free. Again, you just cover the shipping. We will ship you a physical copy of the paperback version of that book. Anywhere in anywhere in the world, wherever you are, just cover the shipping. As far as uh, where else to find me, I'm on every single social media app. We publish everywhere multiple times per day. I'm probably most active in two places, which is uh, Instagram. I use the Instagram stories function a lot. And that's just my name, Dre Baldwin. And then on uh, X, formerly known as Twitter, where this is usually what I use in my news site. So I, I get into some interesting conversations over there about uh, current events. And social issues. So those are the two places I'm most active when it comes to social media. But as far as uh, my production, I also have an email list. If you get my book, you'll be on my email list. As soon as you put your email in, we got your email. You'll be in my emails. I write every day. I'm still a writer. I'm a writer more. I was a writer before basketball. I was a writer before YouTube. So I still write a ton. I still got more books coming. So get on my email list. Again, when you get my book, you'll be on my email list. You'll be getting those emails almost every day. Awesome. Thank you so much for being on Pro Mindset today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for sharing your platform, Craig. I appreciate it. You're welcome. It's Craig Doman, the host of Pro Mindset Podcast. I want to thank you for listening or watching today's show. And you can catch us every week on the normal social media platforms like YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and all the listening uh, podcast platforms. I hope you enjoyed today's show, and more importantly, I hope you gained a Pro Mindset insight. Please be sure to rate and review Pro Mindset Podcast, and I look forward to catching up with you on our next show.